going on out there folks welcome back to the Rotobomb podcast pete davidson here on a saturday so we're talking dfs taking a look at the week 11 slate on DraftKings, and uh <laughs> it's quite a slate man i <laughs> it's it's one of these weeks where it's there's so many different ways you can go I, i've called it like a big sky board a couple times it's definitely that kind of week where it's tough to take it all in and some of you may have noticed, I don't know if it gained any traction, but I tweeted out a sort of a cryptic tweet that said, consider everything before deciding anything, um, which is my typical kind of sweep the corners mentality, which I really like to have when I'm looking at a DFS slate. I really like to look under every rock and think about every contingency to the extent that I can. Um, I have put in a lot of time today. I was actually thinking when I got out of bed this morning pretty early, had a little coffee. I thought, yeah, I'll probably get this thing recorded by noon. <laughs> uh, I'm just barely getting started um, recording now. Um, well, I'm just getting started, not barely. Um, and it's after 3 o'clock. So you guys probably won't be seeing this thing until 5 o'clock. My apologies on that. It'll give you plenty of time um, to digest and, and to do plenty of uh, lineup building and all that stuff. Uh, I have not really built a whole lot of lineups because I've spent so much time trying to get my ducks in a row. Um, I mean, I've, I've moved a couple things around. I, I have not locked in a single lineup yet. Um, so that leads to, before I forget, um, I do plan on doing a second podcast this week. It's going to be short tomorrow morning. Um, the Sunday morning podcasts are sort of fun. Um, I anticipate a 10 to 20 minute quick chat uh, on where I'm going to end up. And that's really it. I'm not going to sit there and and go crazy. This is the podcast you really want to listen to. Um, but I don't want to short you guys and I don't want to, I don't want it to be like I'm running away and not giving you, uh, the answers, uh, if you will. Um, so I will let you guys know sort of where I landed on a lot of this stuff. Um, but what we're going to do now is, um, is a slate walk. We're just going to go through, um, all of these games, we got four games in the afternoon, and then one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So we got 11 games total, four of them afternoon, seven early. Um, and really, when you look at this slate, there's just not even one game that just jumps out and says, look at me. You know, there, there are some teams that look good. Uh, there's certainly some standalone players who, who look good. Um, there are a lot of players who look solid. Right, I mean, this is a week where if you're looking to like cross a lot of guys off, it's not easy to cross guys off this week. Um, and I'm sure a lot of you guys know where I'm going <laughs> with this. It's the stuff I say every single week. But you know, this could be a week where the scores are low. You know, we thought maybe they would be sort of higher last week than they were, and it ended up being sort of ugly. Some stuff got broken. Some of the games got broken. Um, but this is definitely one of those weeks where the scores could be low, um, and certainly. You know, there, even some of the stuff that hits, it'll, it'll be so low, and it might have, it might not have that big of an impact on the slate. Um, it's it's a fairly unusual week. It feels sort of old school because, you know, when you look at, you know, the quarterbacks in particular, you know, Russ and Kyler, obviously they've already played. Mahomes is off the main slate. Josh Allen's on the bye. These are you know, four weekly guys that we go to pretty consistently because because the ceilings are so high. Um, and really, when you look out at it now, I mean, Kyler, for sure, we're going to talk about. He's on my list of guys I want to play this week. And I think Herbert, maybe, is a guy some people will look at and say, well, he's got a really high ceiling. But apart from that, um, the quarterbacks come down to plays versus just sort of buying into talent and style. Um, you know, it's almost like we're playing a 2015 slate or something like that. Anyway, um, so what I'm going to say is that we want to sort of, 
go back to the safety and security of game stacking, of stacking within games and making sure we're correlating. So I'm going to be building, you know, my, my exposures to a lot of these players, I'm going to throw out numbers, just things I'm thinking on this pod, but the truth of the matter is I'm not going to have any idea what my real exposures are until I've built my lineups because so much is going to have to do with starting points and which quarterbacks I choose because I'm going to stay inside of those quarterbacks' games uh, to a large extent. Let me see, anything else? Uh, you know what, another thing. There's a lot of salary relief out there this week, but what's unusual about it is if you take advantage of, you know, salary relief, you end up getting into a situation where there's not that many ways to use the salary that you create. Um, you know, apart from trying to get to Dalvin, which it's, you know, it's funny when I started the rankings on Wednesday when I wrote up the top of the running backs, you know, I, I or when I wrote up Dalvin, I think I said like I don't think I'm going to play Dalvin. He's a great play, but 9K, I'm not getting to 9K. Um, and then when once I was done with the receivers and all of the positions, and once they ruled out DeAndre Swift, you know, I may end up trying to get to Dalvin more than I thought. Um, now, from what I'm hearing, just sort of keeping my ear to the ground, he's going to be really chalky. So there are definitely reasons to play Dalvin, but also go away from him a little bit. Or maybe if you've got serious guts, you know, just fade him straight up. Um, in terms of going away from Dalvin, I think the obvious one, and I've heard a couple people say it, is Derrick Henry. I am sort of on Henry this week, so that's definitely a move I'm going to try. Kamara is another potential move. Uh, going to one of the Green Bay guys, particularly Devante, who you can late swap the pretty close salary-wise. Um... Another thought I had that I'm not sure if I'm going to stick with it all the way, but sort of just a, a, a mentality that I'm going to have with my lineups is I really want to have Derrick Henry or A.J. Brown in most of my lineups. I don't know that I'll get him in every single one, but a goal with all the lineups I start this week is going to be if I can't get Henry in, I want to get A.J. Brown in. And again, I'll talk about that when I get to that game, but that's just sort of an overarching thing that I want to remember with all my lineups. Uh, another thing, I mentioned the salary relief. We, you know, the, DraftKings is, they, they seem to have made an attempt to try to get our attention with some of these cheaper receivers. We're seeing better guys priced down at receiver uh, than we've seen throughout the year. Um, and this week, I mean, there are nine guys. So I'm like, man, I could, I would consider playing all of these guys. And they're all sub 4K. Some of them are way sub 4K. Um, you know, we've talked about K.J. Hamler the last couple weeks, all the targets he's getting. Uh, he's going to be in a game where you, it's a throw-to-win kind of matchup. Um, well, maybe not a throw-to-win, but it's going to be a game where I think they have to throw. Um, Randall Cobb's at 3,600. Michael Gallup is at 3,700. Cam Sims, who's, you know, playing like 80% plus snaps right now, 3,300. Um, A.J. Green in a game that a lot of people are going to be interested in is 3600 I didn't want to play A.J. Green until I saw that price. Now it's like, well, you have to at least think about it. Marvin Hall at 3800 in a good matchup coming off a week where he made the big play. Joaquin Grant still at 3500 It's sort of strange. Um, I don't like the way they're using him. I was hoping he would be a little bit more of a jack-of-all where they've sort of pushed him into a perimeter role, which definitely takes away some of the splash play upside that I want to get with him, but still at 3500 um, And then, you know, you've got Denzel Mims on the Jets, $3,300. Um, now there's, I'll talk about that when we get to the Jet game. There's, I, I'm alternately high and concerned on, uh, with Mims. Um, and then Chris Conley at three k when Chenault has been ruled out and you could have Jacksonville chasing. I, I, it's, it's hard for me to envision Conley not paying off at 3 k um, the question is, can he give you the kind of upside you're going to need? On a week like this, it might be worth it looking at a guy like Conley. So right there, that's that's nine receivers, all sub-4K. Um, another just sort of big thing that I think is just sort of a top-down look. Um, you know, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 running backs. 15 running backs that I'd be more than willing to play. I mean, that's I don't know if that's good or bad. It's strange. Normally I've got it narrowed down to like six, seven, eight, nine guys, something like that. Um, now part of this is because there aren't any great plays that push the medium plays out. That's part of it. 
So that's just a couple things that I see when I look at this slate sort of from the top down. Now, I think we want to be greedy as always, but I also think this is a week where we want to sort of be predatory, greedy but predatory, you know. And when I say, I, I meaning I'm not really worried about, like sometimes we're looking at opportunity cost. I'm much more focused on the prize, um, aggressive, predatory. So I'm not, if you sit there and work, worry about what you're not doing, on a week like this, you can just sit there and worry all day because there's so many things we're not going to do. You could play, you could play mass entry this week and be worried about not <laughs> being in on some things. Um, now, the, another another factor here is while we, it's important not to worry about what we're not doing. This is also a week that you don't have to worry too hard about what we are doing from the standpoint of it being chalky. We talked about Cook. He'll probably be chalky. But I think the fact that there's so much you can do, I, I think we're going to be see, be, we're going to see, you know, the field centering on particular plays less than normal. Uh, maybe some of the Pittsburgh receivers, they're safe. Uh, a lot of people will be talking them up. Um and you know certainly Cook, some of the big names. But this is a week where you can go just about anywhere, and I think that's going to keep um, the chalk low. Now, <laughs> Taysom Hill on FanDuel obviously is a is a whole other thing. Anyway, there's 10 minutes on the on sort of an overview. Let's let's jump into these games individually, uh, and I will do my best my best to get you guys out of here in around an hour. Okay. Oh, and uh, that was Talking Heads in the intro. Obviously, um, I was actually thinking of um, doing the intro to the show with um, a different Talking Heads song, Making Flippy Floppy, because I have done Flippy Floppy <laughs> on this freaking slate like so many times. I think if you go back and read some of my intro stuff this week, I've already flip-flopped on it. Um, I just didn't like the intro. It didn't sound right, so I decided to go with Once in a Lifetime. And hey, it's a GPP week for me, so, you know, drop of the milli is a Once in a Lifetime thing. So there's some appropriateness to... Uh, to once in a lifetime, and um, okay, let's jump into this slate. Um, gonna start with the one o'clock games as always. Um, got the Eagles at the Browns. The over under here, you're looking at about 47.5, not too bad uh, on a slate like this. Uh, the weather isn't supposed to be oppressive. Uh, you're gonna see some rain, some mild wind in the 10 to 15 mile an hour range. I think it might be the only games this week that really has any significant uh, weather concerns. Uh, but hey, for the Browns, this is like a balmy uh, Sunday in Florida or something. So um, I don't think the weather's a huge factor here. Certainly, Carson Wentz is used to much worse, um, you know, from his college days. Uh, I, I'm not building around this game, uh, but there are plenty of things you can do here. If Higgins was cheaper, I would probably be on Higgins if he was one of those 3.5 guys instead of a 4.5 guy. I think Hooper on the Brown side is in play, very much in play. Um, don't really like Landry's matchup. I like the Eagles side better. Um, you know, I think Miles Sanders at the nice price of 6900 is definitely somebody I want some exposure to. Uh, Rieger at 4300 probably people aren't even going to see him because there's so many guys you can get for 1000 less. But Rieger has been running like a, a wide receiver one for them in terms of opportunity. Um, and this is a game where without Miles Garrett, um, Carson Wentz is going to have time to throw. So, you know, a couple long ones to Rieger in a game like this would not surprise me one bit. Um the tight end certainly viable here. Rodgers has actually looked better than Goddard the last couple weeks, but I think Goddard at 38 um, is the play. Uh, he may be chalky again. Then again, the fact that he didn't hit as chalk last week, maybe that scares enough people off where you can get sort of a chalky play at low ownership. Granted, if it's low ownership, it's not chalky, but you know what I'm saying. Um that's pretty much it for this game. I do like the Sanders play. I do plan on having some Goddard. I don't know if I'm going to get much Rieger in my lineup, but he's a guy where I'm going to regret not having him, if that makes any sense. And I may find a way to get some exposure. Um, but I And look, I have some mild interest in both of the quarterbacks here. I just don't know if I'm going to be playing a lineup enough lineups to get to that level. I, I feel like, for me, this is probably going to be like a 10 lineup week. Um it's sort of ironic. Sometimes I put so much time and effort into the content, I don't put as much effort into my own stuff. It's just the way it goes when, you, when, when you're living that dad life. And I am big time living the dad life. 
uh, these days. The rest of my family, I'm used to I'm used to being in an empty house all day and working on fantasy stuff. Now there are just people everywhere all the time. I'm sure some of you folks um, are experiencing it uh, similarly. Um, moving down to Falcons Saints. Now this is a game I wanted to leave for dead, and for a while I was leaving it for dead. And then the more that I looked at it, and the more information started coming out, and now that I'm, I'm starting to get a vibe that not only is Taysom Hill going to start this game, which we knew, but I'm starting to get the vibe that he's going to be the damn quarterback. Like, my take on this game, probably up until yesterday afternoon, was that Winston could end up coming into this game and playing a ton. And that could still happen if the game gets out of hand. If if the Falcons are up 21 nothing, I think, the Saints won't have any choice but to go to Winston. So, you know, you can sort of see where I'm going here. That's the risk in going with a Taysom Hill at 4,800 units. And, you know, there's so much Taysom Hill chatter. It's all about him being tight end eligible. It's all about FanDuel. But the more I looked at this thing, I sort of said to myself, I said, you know, because I used to be a big Tim Tebow guy in terms of Everything we say about running quarterbacks, that when it hits, it can hit for major points. Well, you know, Taysom Hill, <laughs> he's got a little Tim Tebow in him. If, Te if Tim Tebow ran really fast, he'd be like Taysom Hill. Um, now, Taysom Hill doesn't have as much experience throwing the football. Um, but here's the thing, all right? It's, it's really not that complex. Atlanta is not a particularly strong defense. The Saints do seem committed to playing with Hill to the extent that they can, to the extent that they can win the game with him. So the risk you take with Hill is just sort of a game flow risk. If it doesn't hit, you're going to miss. Your lineup's going to break, and that's that. But there's a million ways our lineups can break, right? Let's focus on how it could hit. Here's how Taysom Hill hits. First of all, you got a quarterback at 4,800, which means you can do any effing thing you want with the rest of your lineup, right? Do I correlate with Hill? Yeah, but probably from the other side, I think... I, you know, to me, Taysom Hill hits with his feet more than any way else. I want things to happen for his arm. If he can put up 14, 15 points as a quarterback, that's amazing for what we're looking for. Like, if he puts up 15 as a QB and 20 with his feet, boom. We got, we got a, a slate-breaking score at low, at low money. And here's the funny thing with Hill. Could be low-owned. So maybe, maybe not. I, I, ha I have no feel for where the field is going to be on Taysom Hill as a quarterback. Um, but the Winston element was scaring me off, and now it's not so much scaring me off. Basically, what we want to do here is we want to bet on the Saints having a great day. And if they have a great day, we're not going to see Winston a whole lot out of some situational stuff. And maybe we'll get lucky. Maybe if Winston comes in, he'll throw a pass to Taysom Hill. But anyway, um, I think I'm going to build... Some Taysom Hill, Taysom Hill lineups. I don't know how much money I'm going to invest in them, but I think in GPPs you can make a really good argument that he's one of the savviest QB starts on the slate. Feels ugly. It is ugly. I'm not telling you to do it, but I would. I'd be negligent. You know, I'd, I'd I'd be derelict in my duty if uh, if I didn't tell you guys that I was planning on doing it. Um, now, am I going to play any Matt Ryan from the other side? No, I'm concerned that they're. That you know, since the coaching change, they're coming out with a running mentality early in games. Uh, the whole reason you loved Ryan was because you can get up near 40 attempts. I don't think that's happening this week. Um, I do think bringing Julio back against Taysom Hill makes some sense because we want this thing to continue to be aggressive on both sides of the ball. Um, so you know, maybe a Taysom Julio kind of thing, something like that. Uh, I'm going to keep kicking this thing around, but uh, you know, and and maybe just naked Taysom Hill and get out of this game and 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 you know stack some other things. You could do non QB stacks in several other games with Taysom Hill. So um, I've already spent more time on this game than I planned, but I really do think that Hill has to be considered at this price. You know, he's an outside the box player with a foot point floor who's meeting Sean Payton, an out of the box play caller um, who paid this particular player large. So. We, we can sort of see how this works. Um, excuse me. And I think, I really do think that um, it, it's worth taking a shot with this in a GPP. You don't want it anywhere near your cash. You know, I mean, like, unless you really want to live dangerously. Um, okay, let's move down to the next game. And this next game is one of the games that, you know, I do have a desire 
uh, to stack this game. It's not, it, you know, it's just not quite where I want it to be. Um, and, you know, the Washington defense is a little bit concerning to me. But, you know, I talked about it on Thursday. I think Burrow is just a good play this week in general. He is, I think, maybe apart from conceivably Taysom Hill, the best, you know, price-considered play at quarterback this week. Obviously, he's very easy to stack. You just go with Boyd, Higgins, both of them. You want to get really funky, you can play around with A.J. Green. Um, and and really, you could you could stack with Geo as well. Um, so, the, you know, you could, you could even do Burrow, Geo, and both receivers if you really wanted to get crazy. Um, and then on the Washington side, there's all kinds of ways to bring back a player or two um you know mclaurin at 6900 you get the nice price and you get a great matchup here uh as i talked about earlier in the week i just don't see how the bengals cornerbacks can handle mclaurin um and then logan thomas i think is a really good uh play here as well he's priced way down his playing time i think he's been off the field one snap in the last two weeks something like that i mean this and we've talked about the evolution of logan thomas they've sort of figured out how to use him you know, his, his athleticism is more just good, big, hand-eye coordination kind of guy. He's not so much a speed player, and he's certainly not a quickness player, but he is athletic. Um, and I think they're, they're starting t- to figure out how to use him. And I do think, if, you know, they get down near the goal line, it's probably either going to be Gibson or Logan Thomas. Uh, and this is a game where Washington should be able to move the football. So I think Logan Thomas... You know, you should be looking around seven targets in this game, maybe more if we're lucky, I think, just based on the way they use him and based on what, what's going to be available this week. And then I think if they spend a fair amount of time inside the 20, he's got a good chance to score. So um, a real nice combination of value um, and, and some ceiling at a position that doesn't give you much of either one. Um so this game is, is stackable in both directions. Um, I am less on the Alex Smith side for fairly obvious reasons. Um, you know, I just think Burrow gives you a lot more ceiling, plus you get the potential for foot points. Um, so, you know, I, I really do think this is um, a good game to get involved in. Both teams play fairly fast, so we have a good chance um, of this game having a high play total. Um, I think I got this from Graham Barfield, but uh, the Bengals, 76.9 plays per game, and Washington, 69 plays per game. Um, both of them inside the top 10 in terms of those numbers. So th- this game has a lot to like about it. Um, you know, and it's, you know, I, the real question is are they going to be scoring touchdowns? If there, are t- if there are a lot of touchdowns in this game, oh, man. It, 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 you could really do well here. So I'm going to be playing some borough stacks. I don't know how many. I don't know what port. I don't know what percentage of my portfolio it's going to be. But I'm going to have some of them. I will be bringing back um, WFT players in all of them, uh, and I will have at least two Bengals with Burrow on all those stacks. Um, anything else I want to hit in this game? Nah. Let's let's move down. We're already. We're already losing control of the time factor here. Um, you get the Lions at Carolina. I was so in love with Swift in this matchup, as you guys know. Just breaking my heart that I can't use him. It's killing me in a couple leagues, too. Um, but Swift out does create some interesting side angles, I guess, is the way to put it. First of all, it's still a great running back matchup. It's a great running back matchup. It's Carolina. Um so the game looks way ugly, right? You could have an emphasis on Mike Davis and Adrian Peterson. Um, but just some things in this game that I think are interesting. I, if this game is sort of ugly, then um, Curtis Samuel at 4,700 as sort of a hybrid running back receiver could be interesting in this game. I think Marvin Hall at 3,800, where he talked about him, he could be interesting in this game. I don't know if I'm using any Marvin Hall, but... I, I, as a price-considered option, he's interesting. Uh, I think Hawkinson is the guy on the Detroit side that I like the most because with Danny Amendola out and with Galladay out and with Swift out, that creates a target vacuum. And really, more about Amendola and Swift, you're getting a target vacuum that exists very much in the area that Hawkinson 
operates. So, uh, you know, Hawkinson's off the injury report as far as that toe goes, um, and he could be in a little bit of a target vacuum here. We're going to be looking at a thinner distribution of touches. We're talking about three pretty significant players for Detroit here that aren't going to be playing. None of the other existing guys who are, st who are still there are target hogs. You know, Marvin Jones is a good player, but he's a little bit more of a downfield option than a target hog. This is not a great game for a downfield option. Certainly, if Detroit's smart, they will alter his route tree a little bit and get him operating in the intermediate zone, I think, at a higher rate than normal and maybe even in the shorter areas. Uh, but that's where Hawkinson normally eats. So um, I think he's worth the 4200 So really, you know, Logan Thomas, Hawkinson, Goddard, we've already hit probably my three favorite tight ends. Um, on this slate. Um, as for, you know, other angles on this game, uh, you know, I don't really have any. I don't, I'm, I don't think playing either quarterback here is something I want to do. Um, I don't know if it's going to be Walker or Bridgewater. I think it's going to be Walker, which further pushes this game into the abyss. Oh, you know, here's, here's one angle. Carrion and Adrian Peterson are going to have this backfield, obviously, with Swift out of there. And they're both stone minimum in a game that should be all about running. So you can mess around with, I mean, a lot of people will probably be talking about Adrian Peterson, and I think his chances of hitting 20 touches in this game definitely exist. Uh, and 20 catch, touches at 4K against Carolina. <laughs> Listen, you play Adrian Peterson on DraftKings this week, I'm not going to tell you there, there's anything wrong with it. I, I'll probably do it a little bit myself. Normally, like, I don't even consider Peterson on DraftKings because he doesn't fit the format. But, you know, in a game like this, he, he could work. Uh, and then there's the other side of the coin, Carrion Johnson, who's been playing snaps but not getting a lot of touches. He could pick up some of those swift targets. I'm not sure, but, you know, Carrion Johnson feels like a 10 to 15 touch player in this game. If we get a little lucky, maybe he swings into that 15 plus area. And again, both of these guys are stone minimum. So, um, you know, I'm going to be doing a lot more thinking on this particular play, I think, you know, over the rest of the day, tomorrow morning. But, you know, the odds of none of the Detroit running backs paying off are low. Like, one of them almost has to pay off. They almost have to. Um, and if Peterson just busts a couple plays, gosh, he could pay off pretty well. I mean, you know, the, like Adrian Peterson going, you know, 20-plus carries for 80 yards and a pair of scores, I think is very much in play. Um, now, he'll probably get targeted twice for one catch and two yards or something like that, and that's another issue. But, um, you know, if Peterson was sitting there at 5K or 5,500, not, not so interested. But at 4K, gosh. All right, let's move off that game. Let's get down to the next game, which is interesting, and it is in my stacking list. Uh, Pittsburgh at Jacksonville. Uh, it's worth mentioning here that Pittsburgh's defense is in a phenomenal spot. Normally, 4,600 is too much for me on a defense, but this week with so much salary, easy for me to say, salary relief, I'm not starting any of my teams with the Pittsburgh defense, but I could see myself getting into some situations with some of these cheaper stacks where it's like, hmm, am I going to sort of just move up to the next receiver when I don't see them being appreciably better, or am I going to move up? on my defense and get to a place where I've got Luton against freaking the Steelers' defense. Um, and if you fade the rest of the Steelers on that, that could be a leverage play. All right. Apart from the defense, this is still a fairly exciting game. Um, you know, if you want to go contrarian, you could play Robinson in this game, James Robinson, just because he's going to be getting tons of touches. Obviously, there are low-quality touches against the Steelers. I think Shark, as a GPP bring-back, makes plenty of sense. Uh, he is not hugely expensive. Um, but for me, I think Cole or even Conley makes more sense. Conley, all the way down at 3K, allows me to do what I want in a lot of other places. Meanwhile, you know, Conley, oh, I can't remember who, who pointed this out. It might have been JM to win. But this guy is a bench player who's a team captain. And the point that is that they trust this guy. They like this guy. He's an air quote Jaguar. So when they put him in there, just like last week, he's going to see targets. Um, and in a game like this, he could see, a, they like to set him up for yak. So, you know, I definitely think at the very least in game stacks with the Steelers, I think Conley makes sense as a bring back. If you want to be a little more ballsy and go for Shark, I think that makes plenty of sense. 
Keelan Cole, sure, you could do that too. I think Cole's a little bit more likely to get caught up in the bad matchup. That's just my guess. Um, and then on the Pittsburgh side, uh, you know, I think this is a week where you can play Big Ben. I mean, it really is. Um, let me see here. Pittsburgh at Jacksonville. Pittsburgh at Jacksonville. Um, I'm sorry. I just don't want to quote Big Ben's price and then be wrong. Um, yeah, he's at 6700 I knew it was high. Um, but really, it's not hard to get to Big Ben at 6700 In fact, it's easy. His receivers, they're not priced down, but they're certainly not priced up. I'd say they're lower than they should be. Um, and you want the guys with the upside here. So my... If I was doing a lot of lineups, I would probably find like I would probably play like all the potential stacks. Like I would do Juju, Deontay, Juju, Claypool, and then Claypool, Deontay. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to have that many. Um, Ebron is sort of the sticky problem here. If Ebron has a big touchdown day, catches a couple, could screw you over pretty good. Um, but when you look at the way Pittsburgh has been throwing the ball, they've been throwing so much more the last couple weeks. I don't really see that changing in this game environment. Um, until they get into the fourth quarter. Um, so I like the Big Ben stacks. The one I like the most is Claypool Deontay. But, you know, I save more money that way. And I just feel like those guys have a little bit more big play capability based on their usage. Not on talent. Juju's got all kinds of big play capability. He's just got the lowest dot right now. You know, they're using him in a way that, that, that takes upside away from him. Um, and, you know... The, the, I know a lot of people are sort of knee-jerk blaming Juju for that, but Juju's in a weird situation. He's got two other younger up-and-coming receivers who are both seriously talented and have specific skill sets. So, you know, he's sort of the glue guy of this group because he's been around the longest and, and you know, knows the scheme the best. So, anyway, I, I'm probably looking at Ben Claypool, Deontay, bringing back Conley. Um, but I will mix that around a little bit. Um, and I really do like this game, um, just in terms of stacking it for DFS. Uh, moving down to the next game. Oh, you know what? Let me. See. Did I miss anything in that last game? Um, yeah, no, no, I got it all. Sorry. Um, so, moving down to Titans at Ravens. So... Before I really even started doing my research uh, on this game, um, I like this game. Just from the standpoint of there's a lot of competency. You've got good coaching staffs. You've got a lot of offensive talent on both sides of the ball. This game's going to have a disposition. It could be ugly. It could be crazy. We just don't know. So I want to stack it and hopefully uh, you know, g g get some wind in my sails from this game. The thing about this game is you really have to dig into the details in terms of what's going on this week. And now, Calais Campbell's out, so like that's pretty big. Brandon Williams, nose tackle, he's not going to play, doesn't look like. Um, so Derrick Henry's matchup gets a whole lot better right there, and this is a defense he has had some success against before. So I'm very willing, as I said earlier, to use Derrick Henry. Meanwhile, the Titans have protection concerns with no Taylor Lewin and with, you know, journeyman, you know, Dennis Kelly on the other side where Jack Conklin used to be. So they need to run the ball so, you know, the Ravens can't pin it back. They, you know, they still have some pass rushers over there. So it seems to me that they're going to be able to run and they need to be careful about the way they pass. Um, and then another thing that I looked at, if you look at A.J. Brown's two big games where he's got touchdowns and he went over 100 yards, you know, both of them, I think they came against the Steelers and the Bears, also teams that were getting after Tannehill very well. So, you know, in sometimes when they have issues with pass protection, what they do is that they get the ball to Brown and hope that he can do things after the catch. So with a lot of people looking at Brown coming off a terrible game last week, coming off a terrible last game against this defense, I think a lot of people are going to be like, no way am I playing A.J. Brown here. He's expensive. That's why I came up with the, if I'm not playing Henry, I think the reason Henry doesn't go off is because Brown is going off. That's just sort of the, the, the quick and easy way to explain it. Um, and I think... 
some people won't hit that because they're just gonna they're just gonna do a quick fade on AJ Brown again because last week was brutal and his game against the Titans was brutal. But the game script in that game had a lot to do with why he never really saw any looks. I don't remember how many passes through how many passes Tannehill threw, but it was it was like ten. It was Tara. You know, it was just it was a weird game. So I think that the degree to which people will be fading A.J. Brown this week is way past the level to which they should be. Um, so I'm going to want one of the big chips on the Tennessee side. On the Baltimore side, um, and this is where it gets interesting, if, I, if I'm not using those guys as one-offs, and I'm willing to use them as one-offs, you're going to need some this week. Um, but I'm willing to play Lamar this week, more than willing. I, I want to. The question is, how do I play Lamar, <laughs> right? Do I stack him? Do I play him naked? Do I correlate with just naked Lamar and then bring back Tennessee players? I don't... My instinct was actually maybe to do that because obviously Hollywood Brown has just been like non-existent and so is Andrews, right? And in this game, Andrews has a good matchup. Hollywood Brown may have a great matchup. Um, you know, the Titans are down. They don't have good cornerbacks. They're missing their top cornerback. J.D. on Clowney's not going to play. J.D. on Clowney is not going to play. So this is a really good matchup, I think, you know, for Baltimore offensively. It could be a get-right game for them. Um, and that's why I think this game really works well as a game stack. Um, so I don't know how much Lamar exposure I want. Obviously, he's been shaky this year. But the good news is I don't think a lot of people are going to be on him. He's priced down. Um, and we're looking for things to do this week, right? So, you know, I don't know if I'm going to stack this game with Tannehill or not. I don't think I am. What I think I'm going to do is play Lamar lineups, bringing back Henry in one, maybe A.J. Brown in another, um, and then play a naked Lamar and then a double stack Lamar. I think that's probably what I'm going to do. Maybe I'll play Lamar with Hollywood and put in a different cheaper tight end for Andrews depending on how the build is working out. But I definitely want to get this game into some of my lineups, and I want it as a stack if I can get it. Well, I, I want to make sure I've got some game stacks on this game because this game could go off. Speaking of games that could uh, go off, um, we've got the Patriots uh, at the Texans. Uh, Patriots, a road favor favorite here um, with 25.75 implied total going up against a 23.25. So, you know, this game is nearly 50 points. Um, in theory, this would look like a good game. You've got uh, two teams. Neither one of these defenses playing particularly well. The the obvious concern here... Um, oh, and by the way, at least in the passing game, the Patriots have a very thin distribution of targets. So, like, the Cam-Jacoby stack obviously is in play. You don't need me to tell you that. Um, Sony Michelle has been activated, which means now we're dealing with four running backs. So, while I was thinking about maybe a rec stack or maybe working Harris into my mix... Uh, in some way. I think Sony makes that even harder. This could be like a four-headed backfield, God knows. So I'm probably going to avoid the Patriot backs, whereas yesterday I don't know if that was really my intent. Um, on the other side, obviously Watson is playable. Um, I don't know that I'm really on Watson this week or not, but he's certainly playable. Um, you could stack him obviously with Fuller or maybe better yet with Cooks, save you a thousand bucks. Like I mentioned earlier, Cobb would be in play in this game. Um, Duke Johnson at 5,400 I think is absolutely one of the running backs I'm going to be looking at this week. Um, uh, and there's a lot of ways you could sort of start a lineup out with a stack in this game. You, you know, Cam, Jacoby, Duke. Cam, Jacoby, Cooks. Cam, Jacoby, Duke, and Cooks. You can obviously work Fuller into that mix. Um, there's a lot of good ways to play this game. And what really is going to happen... I think the only really risky one is Fuller because Fuller has the look of a guy that Belichick may try to give some special attention to. But apart from that, I like him and it's not priced to the roof. But the big thing where we need to watch here is the game environment itself. Um, we really need Houston to score. Um, you know, if, if Houston come come and score, then like this whole thing could sort of open up, you know, like a, a, a whiskey with some water in it, you know, it just change the dynamics completely, opens up possibilities. Um, you know, and the, the Patriots really struggle in the red zone, but you know, the Texans are very charitable down in the red zone. So, you know, everything works here 
if the Texans are posting points to me. The pace is going to become less of a problem and everything starts to work. Now, if the Patriots can run, hold clock, and the Texans aren't getting it done, we could have a really ugly first half and even a good second half isn't going to save our tail. Um, so, I, you know, I'm... I really like this game, but I have concerns with the pace to the extent where I'm just not going to jump in with both feet. So what, what I am going to do is probably have, you know, I'm not doing a whole lot of lineups. So, you know, one Cam Newton stack would be like the equivalent of two or three on a normal week. I definitely am going to put a Cam lineup together. He's been looking good over the last couple of weeks. Um, now, you could do like the naked Cam and then bring back some... Texans or maybe just do a one-off cam. You could do something like that, uh, but I'm really trying to stay within game environments this week, so probably I'm going to stack cam with Jacoby, and the risk there, obviously, is that they don't need to throw. Um, so I'm going to probably stack cam and Jacoby, and then on the other side, bring back guys who I think can help ignite the fire. If Duke Johnson's playing well, that's going to force things to happen for the Patriots. If if Cooks is making plays, that's going to force the Patriots' hand. Um, and obviously, Will, Will Ford would do the same. So I like this game, but it, it's scary enough where I'm not going to like let my whole week ride on this game. Um, moving down to Miami, Denver. Um, Locke is going to play. I think the Miami defense at 3,400 definitely in play here, even though they're on the road. Um you know, the backfield's going to be split this week, so I liked Ahmed at 4,800, but now with Breida coming back, I'm not so sure how much I want to do that, and Denver can defend the run. Um, lots of good individual plays in this game. The one that really pops out mostly for me is Hamler because he's cheap, um, and he's getting the best matchup of all the Denver receivers because he works out of the slot. Um, he's been getting targeted like 10 times a game. So I really think in GPPs, finding some room for Hamler makes uh, some sense if you can fit him in uh, into the right lineup. Uh, moving down to the Jets uh, at the Chargers. I think the Chargers paying up to 4K could be a decent move here. Joey Bosa is back. The Jets cannot protect on the right side of the offensive line. That is really the big bugaboo for the Jets here. If they can handle Bosa, if they can just just double team him, do some freaking thing, the Jets are in a good place here to throw the football. Flacco can play against a defense like this. The Jets receivers can get open against a defense like this. But if Bosa is all over Flacco, Flacco's dead. He's not mobile. He's not running away. He's, you know, he's not agile in the pocket anymore. So you know, the Jets offense is either going to work or it's not going to work. Um, if it doesn't work, this game gets ugly. Um, and then, you know, L.A. is going to be able to run, run, run. Um, now, speaking of L.A. and running, you know, the Jets, you can run on the Jets. It's not easy, but you can do it. Uh, Balage is going to maybe even be chalky, which is scary to even think, but let's say. Um, I don't know if I'm going to play any Bellage at 5,600 or not, but he's in play. Uh, Henry's in play at tight end, 4,600 scored last week. His usage is good, but he's priced up at 46, you know? Um, when I, Hawkinson at 42, it's sort of tough to play Henry at 46. And for Henry to really hit, he either just needs to have a dominant day or this game needs to go up because he needs to get his behind Keenan Allen and behind Williams. So that's like an added element for me that's not good. Now, will I do a Herbert stack? Yeah, I probably will because I think he's going to light the Jets up. Um, probably put him with Keenan or Williams, not both. Um, and then bringing back Jets is easy. You can bring back uh, Brashad Perryman. You can bring back Mims all the way down to 33. Those guys are both cheap. Um, these are pretty good stacks that, le that leave you plenty of money to do some different things with. I also think Pirine is a good cost saver at running back in this game. He's all the way down to 4,400 units. Probably is going to get about 70% of the juice. Um, moving down to... Wait, is there anything else in that check game? Crowder's back at 6,100. So that get you know so I wouldn't go willy nilly rostering tons of Mims and or Perryman because I think Crowder, you know, could end up being the target leader now. He's probably we don't know how healthy Crowder is, but you know he played about sixty six percent of the snaps last week. He could get up to eighty this week, and that would hurt these other guys a little more. I do suspect, as we've seen over the last several weeks, pretty much all of the Jet targets are going to go to Crowder. Uh, Perryman and Mims. Um, we're yeah, doing pretty well on time here, actually. Uh, moving down to Green Bay at the Colts. Um, 
I'm a little confused by the spread here because I think Green Bay wins this game. Uh, I think Rodgers and any Green Bay player um, can be um, stacked with you know the best big play guy on Indy, who's Naeem Hines. So I like the Rodgers Adams stack bringing back Naeem Hines, and I like the Adams Aaron Jones stack bringing back Naeem Hines. You could, if you wanted to, work a cheap MVS into the mix. I don't know that the pace in this game works for me doing that. Um, I think, you know, uh, if MVS has one big play in this game, we're probably getting lucky. Um, but I do like the idea of playing Rodgers in this game. Um, on the other side, I think Pittman is in play at 4,500. I think I mentioned that earlier. I just haven't seen enough out of Hilton uh, to get uh, involved with him. But the Packers are such a, a great running back matchup, um, especially when you throw in the passing game. They're really good um, in terms of giving up passing statistics to running backs. So I know we don't like to dip into last week's breakout guy. Hines at 52, to me, is very playable. And he allows me to get up there with a couple of expensive receivers. So, um, And in, in this particular stack, he might help me get to Devontae. So uh, I like Hines as a part of the game stack here, and I like him as a standalone option uh, as well. Um, don't think I'm going to get involved with the Rivers in this game. I just don't see it. Um, I don't think I'm going to get involved with any of the other peripherals on Green Bay. Again, the, the pace of this game makes me want to stay away, but the fact that these offenses um, are predictably targeted in certain ways, I think, allows us to do sort of a thin stack um, and get involved a little bit. Um, last game on the docket is a game that I don't want to want to be involved in, but I can't help it. It just, it, it, there's... There's reasons to like Dallas at Minnesota, and uh, well, let's get into why. And um, <laughs> don't don't get me wrong; I know a lot of you are already rolling your eyes. Probably a couple of people just hit stop and aren't, aren't listening to the podcast, <laughs> aren't listening to the podcast anymore. Um, but look, I, look, I know this game features Kirk Cousins and Andy Dalton, two QBs we all love to hate. But it's important to understand that both of these guys periodically have a lot of success like it sucks yeah I, I hack and i love to make fun of the red rocket on the show sometimes but let's not kid ourselves andy dalton has been a qb1 for fantasy over the course of entire seasons not not the qb1 but a qb1 okay we've seen this guy have big games we know he's capable of doing it the same thing is true with cousins now Let's focus on Dalton, because I'm not really looking to play Cousins, um, because I don't get the kind of, well, I don't think you get the kind of upside that you get with Dalton because of the weapons and, and the fact that Dallas likes to get a lot of plays in a game and all that stuff. The Vikings have no pass rush, okay? Very weak with the pass rush. This helps a ton for a number of reasons. First of all, Dalton's getting hit too quick. He's not getting a look at his receivers. It's going to help with that. It's also going to help because Dallas's big problem is that their line is all beat up, right? So this big issue is mitigated by Minnesota's big weakness. So that's huge. I don't know if people are even thinking about it enough, but the fact that Minnesota it may not get after Dalton in this game is big. Um, the Vikings have yielded uh, the NFL's 12th most fantasy points to quarterbacks, according to Evan Silva. Uh, Silva also goes on to point out that their overall passer rating, teams throwing against the Vikings, 99-7. Dear God. The Vikings are also coming off a big win in a short week. Okay, The Vikings have allowed the NFL's fourth most fantasy points to wide receivers. And guess who, guess who is ahead of them? Yeah, the Cowboys at number three. So this lines up with what we want to do, right? Now, um... What else do we want to do? Uh, Irv Smith, limited all week. Not sure if he's going to play. That's a factor. That could funnel even more targets to where we want them to go to, right? So we, I look at this game, considering a Dalton stack, hopefully not a lot of people are going to be on this. Could be a very nice low-owned thing. And if you don't think that I understand the risk, trust me, I do. This thing could absolutely just go sideways on us. This is a GPP play, okay? But I'm telling you right now, I may make 10 lineups or 12 lineups. I'm thinking like three or four of those, if I go to 12, will probably be Andy Dalton lineups. And embracing the risk, understanding I may be smoking them if I got them and getting into the whiskey early. I get that. But, and we again, we've talked about this before. I've talked about it over the last couple minutes. Dalton's a guy who has gotten it done in the past. Now, when has he gotten it done? 
right? He's gotten it done in good matchups. I'm talking about a game environment. He's gotten it done against weaker defenses, and he's gotten it done because he has, just because he's had a lot of luck over the course of his career, playing with great receivers on his side. He's had a Hall of Famer in A.J. Green. He's had Tyler Boyd. He's had some other guys. The Bengals have had a lot of talent around Dalton over the years. Now we're in Dallas, and hey, <laughs> Amari Cooper's pretty good. CeeDee Lamb is pretty good. Michael Gallup is pretty good, okay? So you're going to have an overmatched secondary against an average NFL team going against an NFL team with an abundance of riches at the position. So from a standpoint of having open players to throw to, it's hard to envision that being a problem. From a standpoint of having time, he's not going to have all day to throw because he doesn't have a good offensive line, but Minnesota doesn't really get there. So there's a lot of ways that Dallas's offense can work. Now, we do have that trouble of, well, you've got Gallup and Lamb and Amari. Look, none of them are priced up. So getting them into your lineup is not a problem. The question is, do we want one, two, or three, and which ones? I want two. And for me, it's Amari and Lamb, just sort of the way the pricing's lined up. I think Gallup is going to be the guy who, when we're going against other Dalton stacks, <laughs> assuming there are some other ones out there to go against. No, there will be. There will be. Um, I think a lot of people are going to be tempted by that 3,700-unit gallop in a game that could be wide open. And I'm not saying it's a dumb thing to do, but we've talked many times on this podcast and in you know, in the, in the weekly rankings about the type of quarterback that Andy Dalton is. And the type of quarterback that Andy Dalton is, is he likes to work the middle of the field and he likes to throw to receivers who are either predictably going to be open coming out of a break or who are open. He does not like to finesse balls. He doesn't like to drop balls into coverage. He doesn't like to trust guys at the catch point, if you will. Basically, he just doesn't profile as a guy who will throw to Michael Gallup as much as, say, Dak Prescott, okay? Or if Aaron Rodgers had Michael Gallup, he would be very comfortable throwing to Michael Gallup. I don't think Dalton will be as comfortable. And here's the good thing. If he happens to hit a couple big plays to Gallup, we're just praying Gallup, we're just praying Dalton doesn't miss. So even like, if we stack Amari and Lamb, a couple, you know, Michael Gallup having 80 yards is not going to hurt us. In fact, it'll help us because we need Dalton to hit his bonuses and stuff. So really, you know, if you want to use Gallup, I don't have any problem with that. But just for me, based on all that I've seen over the years, Dalton fits with Lamb and Amari pretty well. So I'm going to go that way. Um, now, here's where things can maybe get a little more interesting. We go over to the other side. Uh, and by the way, I think Zeke Elliott's a reasonably good play in this game. I don't think he works that well in Dalton stacks. I think Dalvin Cook is a, obviously a good play in this in this game. We've talked about Dalvin before. The interesting thing about playing stacks in this game is we can go into Dalvin. We can eat the chalk. We can also leverage against Dalvin. And I think I will if I that's where four lineups sort of works for me. If I do four of these, then I can sort of do Dalvin in two and leverage da against Dalvin in the other two. Um, obviously, I think if you play Dalvin, you're playing the Dalvin Smash and the Cowboy Chase. In that in that scenario, I'm probably not adding. Thielen or Jefferson. But if I'm fading Cook and I'm trying to leverage against Cook, then I'm going to bring in Thielen, Jefferson, not both. I'm not bringing, I'm not going to start two guys against a quarterback. Um, but I will probably, you know, Thielen in one, Jefferson in the other, mix it up. I sort of like Jefferson better, but there you can make some good arguments for either one of them. It may come down to needing salary. I'm not sure. But I definitely see two Dalton stacks where I'm bringing back a receiver and two Dalton stacks where I'm bringing back Cook. Like that's sort of where I'm at, where I'm, uh, uh, that's sort of where I'm at right now. Um, and look, we're not really playing the game here. This game is, eh, you know, Dallas plays fast, Minnesota plays slow. Which one of those two wills will control the game? Will it be game dynamics, just freak things that happen that switch the game? But the thing about Minnesota is we know that if they can get pushed into passing games. So that's what we're really hoping for here. And if, if Dallas is hitting and getting ahead, you know, that's where re things really work for us in, in those non-cook 
games. Like if we can get Dallas getting out ahead. Because remember, we don't need Cook. Cook doesn't need, we don't need Cook to fail. We just need him to fail from a price-considered kind of point of view, right? If Dalvin Cook uh, puts up 90 rushing yards and 50 passing yards, but doesn't get in the end zone, he'll have a good day. But he's not going to pay off at 9K. All right. Anything else here? Uh, listen, if if Irv Smith is ruled out, I think Rudolph becomes a play at 3,200. You could even use him as a bringback. Um, he works well in terms of leveraging against Cook because he scores touchdowns. Um, now, I wouldn't get into that unless Smith is ruled out. The other thing we like, and I mentioned it before, if Smith gets ruled out, I think it's easier to target those outside receivers. But the things we want to remember in this game is that Dallas should be able to function offensively much more so than normal. We like the fact that they may be heavily under-owned because a lot of people just simply aren't even going to consider them, right? We love the fact that neither one of these teams do anything to stop receivers. So if I'm getting involved in game stacks in this game, I'm not reaching outside of this game. I'm doing like two Dallas to one Minnesota receiver. I'm getting three receivers in the middle from this game. Now maybe down in my flex, I'll go away. I won't go with a third RB or something, but I'm going to be having three receivers in this game in my stacks. Um... So that's it, man. We covered all 11 games. We are safely under an hour, which I'm surprised about. Um, so before I leave you, I didn't think I would have time for this, but we do. Let's just do a couple minutes on, you know, my, the guys that I'm playing this week if I'm doing one-offs. And, you know, if, if I decide to do a cash lineup, which right now I'm sort of waffling on. But, um, you know, at the running back position, obviously Dalvin, uh, Derek Henry, Miles Sanders, uh, Duke Johnson, Naeem Hines. I think those are probably my core five right now. But as I mentioned earlier, I've got an open mind on like 15 different running backs. Um, uh, the tight ends, I think my, my three most heavily owned guys would be Goddard, uh, Hawkinson, and then Logan Thomas as well. Um, more than willing to work some Mark Andrews in there in certain situations, probably mostly as a stacking option with Lamar. Um, when it comes to wide receivers, uh, definitely on Deontay and Claypool. I like T. Higgins. I like Keenan Allen a lot. I like Brandon Cooks, um, especially from a price-considered standpoint. I think Rieger, I mentioned, is a guy who could pop at a fairly low number. Um, Jefferson and Thielen, for obvious reasons. Uh, I think... Um, Amari Cooper, uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, C.D. Lamb, for obvious reasons. Devontae Adams, mostly just from the standpoint of target share workload. Um, I mentioned, we talked about the cheap receivers earlier in the show. Um, and then, as far as defenses that I'm focusing on, I mean, I, a lot of it will have to do with cost, obviously. But I think Washington football team has some defensive upside. Really like the Dolphins this week. The Chargers, if you can afford them. And the Steelers, if you can afford them. Those are the four teams. I would say that I'm you know, most heavily focused on. Um, so that's sort of a general wrap. Uh, I hope this podcast um, was worth the hour you spent listening to it. Uh, I hope it brings you closer to feeling good about your lineup construction this week. Uh, and now, when I'm done with this sucker, uh, I'm going to get into my own. Um, so thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you all next week. I am very much jazzed to uh, get into the uh, swing of things for Thanksgiving. Hack and I will be doing an extended show. I think we're going to be doing a two-hour show uh, on Thanksgiving uh, in addition to tomorrow morning's show. Hopefully some of you guys will check that out. Uh, and again, as I said, I am going to be putting up like probably a 10- to 20-minute Sunday morning podcast just to cover the ground that... I'm going to cover for the next five or six hours while I work on my lineups. I'm just going to sort of let you guys know where I ended up. Um, well, where, where I'm at tomorrow morning. Because, you know, once I finish tomorrow morning's podcast, that's where I spend two hours further messing around with my lineups and taking my Millie Maker winner and turning it into something else. But anyway, um, thanks for listening to the Rollerbomb Pod. Um, onward, upward. Uh, don't forget to correlate and to do all those things that increase your odds of hitting. And, uh, Hopefully I'll see you guys in the winter circle tomorrow night. Giddy up.
Patricks. <laughs>